For nearly a decade, Chris Coster departed from the rest of his Democratic colleagues on whether to cap campaign donations. Even after he switched parties in 2007, Coster, then a state senator, voted with a bipartisan legislative coalition to repeal Missouri's donation limits. But during his unsuccessful bid for governor last year, Coster changed his position. He ended up endorsing a measure known as Amendment 2 that placed limits on how much someone could give directly to legislative, judicial, or statewide candidates. It was funded by Fred Sauer, a conservative activist who was critical of the role big donors played in GOP politics. Mr. Sauer's initiative petition is not a perfect vehicle. I think that there are some drafting challenges that will be fleshed out in the coming weeks. But it is an opportunity to begin to have a dialogue about putting an end to uh, this madness. Coster believed Missouri's limitless system had veered out of control, especially with candidates getting seven-figure donations from wealthy interests. And Missouri's voters agreed as they ended up backing Amendment 2 by an overwhelming margin. But Coster wasn't the only person who picked up on the idea that Amendment 2 wasn't a perfect vehicle. The measure didn't cap municipal or county candidates or place many restrictions on political action committees. And since the donation restrictions went into effect last year, there's been an explosion in the amount of PACs which are allowed to spend lots of money to support or attack other candidates. This new normal likely comes as no surprise to people like Bill Eigel, a Republican who predicted this type of outcome last August. I can tell you when it comes to campaign contribution limits, we have those at the federal level. And so what we've seen, what we've seen at the federal level is uh, we, I believe there's been a loss of transparency because the same amount of money is finding its way into our campaigns at the federal level. And the same amount of cynicism and negativity still exists as a result of that money that's going into the federal campaigns. But what's happened at the federal level is that instead of being given money being given to candidates where they can report it and there's transparency, it's funneled into super PACs. On this edition of the Politically Speaking podcast, Joe Manis and I look into whether the legislature or voters can make Missouri's campaign donation restrictions stronger. And later in the show, we talk with State Representative Clem Smith of Belda Village Hills about next year's legislative session and election season. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking Podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors, and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to Politically Speaking, the only show about Missouri politics featuring a co-host who's still upset about the officiating in yesterday's Chicago Bears game. <laughs> I am that co-host, Chicagoland native Jason Rosenbaum, the interim editor for St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Colleague Joe Manis, and you're who, a, who is not an interim editor. So but my are you, condolences to Jason. Are you a Bears fan? Are you a Colts fan? Well, I'm from Indiana, so you got to be a little bit of a cult. But I'm not hung up on football. I mean, I, I was big on the Rams back in the day when they were the greatest show on turf, and this just shows my age. After all that, I just kind of uh, moved on. I did the same thing with the Cardinals after they traded Ted Simmons, and that was 1982, and that was before you were born. We're not here to talk about football. We're going to be talking with State Representative Clem Smith, a Democrat from Velda Village Hills, later in the show. 
But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about Joe's story she just did on the state of Missouri's campaign finance system. Okay, it may be boring to some people. It's but not boring to me. <laughs> I know, we may be the only two people like in, in St. Louis. But here's the point. What I tried to do is give an overview of some of the confusion regarding Amendment 2. And James Clark, who is executive director for the Missouri Ethics Commission, was kind enough to actually give me a good chunk of time. Obviously, I could only use a little bit of it in this feature, but talking about the challenges that they're facing as they're trying to interpretate the law and they're waiting for possible changes by either the General Assembly or more likely from the public. 2018 will mark the first time in a decade that all Missouri candidates for statewide and legislative offices will have to comply with campaign donation limits. They are required by Amendment 2, which was supported by close to 70 percent of Missouri voters and now is part of the state's constitution. James Clark is the executive director of the Missouri Ethics Commission, the state agency charged with enforcing the new law. He agrees that its provisions are complicated. Hopefully, uh, the commission opinions have helped clarify most of the issues that people may, questions that people may have had about Amendment 2 and how it applies to their situation. Here are the basics. Candidates for statewide or legislative offices can accept donations no larger than $2,600 per election from any individual or political committee. All candidates also can no longer collect direct contributions from unions or businesses. Those donors have to form political action committees, also known as PACs, to dole out their money. Political party committees can accept donations of no more than $25,000 per election. But there are exceptions to the rules. The donation limits don't apply to county or municipal candidates who can still collect contributions of any size. Certain types of political committees also are exempted. That includes PACs set up to help certain candidates. There's been an explosion in the creation of political action committees since Amendment 2 passed. Candidates are allowed to promote donations to such PACs, even though those committees must operate independently of the candidates' own campaign committees. If you're confused, so are politicians and political activists on both sides. They say it's obvious Amendment 2 has problems. Amendment 2 is well-intentioned, but it's flawed. That's Sean Sinker Nicholson. He heads Clean Missouri, a group that's trying to get a ballot initiative before voters that deals with a variety of ethics issues. On the campaign finance front, Clean Missouri's initiative slightly lowers the donation limits for state house and Senate candidates. The proposal also seeks to rein in all those new political action committees. The biggest loophole that I think about is the ability for a billionaire like Rexingfield to set up 100 PACs and just go around the, the very clear intention of the law. Clean Missouri would require that certain PAC donations count toward the donor's $2,600 limit to an individual candidate. For legal reasons, Clean Missouri's measure doesn't deal with the lack of limits on local candidates. But State Representative Justin Offerman, a Republican from Herman, expects legislative leaders to tackle that issue. An Amendment 2 fix uh, we're talking about as well, making sure that all the tenants of Amendment 2 are adhered by local and uh, county candidates as well as state. Because if we're going to have a set of ethics laws, we should hold our local and our, and our county candidates to the same standard. Clark, head of the Ethics Commission, says his agency is staying out of the efforts to change Amendment 2. The commission has its hands full dealing with the law as it now stands. I'm hopeful that through this educational process that we've had during 2017, uh, hopefully we won't get too many complaints in 2018 if, if everyone understands 
better better than they did earlier in the year what the rules of the road are. But potential legal roadblocks remain. A federal appeals court is reviewing some of the PAC restrictions, and the Missouri Chamber of Commerce recently filed suit challenging the commission's ban on corporate donations to the chamber's PAC. Those court decisions could further erode the power of Amendment 2. So, Joe, I asked this question on Twitter and you actually responded. Do you think people that supported Amendment 2, which includes a lot of Democrats, a sprinkling of Republicans and pretty much every editorial page board in Missouri, have misgivings about what they did? I don't think so. I think for the average person, uh, a lot of people, like if you get people on the street, they're frustrated by what they see is too much money in politics. Many people have normal lives, they're not like you and me, who focus on the details of this stuff. All they know is, is that they'd like to see something changed. Now, if you notice, almost 70% of Missouri voters in 2016, no, November 2016, voted for Amendment 2. That means that a good chunk of those people also voted for Donald Trump. So th these are people who want change, and they're, and they're willing to shake things up to see if something happens that they like, and if they don't, then they'll be willing to make changes again. I think that's what we're dealing with. There may have been some educated uh, people, some uh, news outlets, the editorial boards, who may be saying, well, this thing isn't working out the way we thought. But even from the get-go, many people thought there were so many holes in Amendment 2. As my feature mentioned, you've written about it a gazillion times. There's lots of holes in it. But... I think that the people to blame are, frankly, both parties. The Democrats were talking about for at least six years putting up something on the ballot, doing some sort of initiative on their own that included then-Governor Jay Nixon, Claire McCaskill, who's the U.S. senator. Nothing happened. On the Republican side, they kept saying they were going to have more transparency, and in many cases, there was actually less. So you've got both parties can bear some of the blame for what they've ended up with. Are you basically saying that the majority of voters who voted for this didn't actually read read what was in it? Because that, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting the implication of, of what you said. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably didn't. They saw, I mean, they look at the summary, and the summary is put, re-putting campaign donation limits on, $2,600 for at least certain offices, and many of those voters probably remember the old days. It hasn't been that long. It's been, what, uh, 10 years since we had campaign donation limits, which may have had their issues, but there was a, they, they applied to everybody. Uh, the Republicans took them off with certain promises, but they did it from the General Assembly. And frankly, I think if the voters had had a chance to vote on that, they might have opposed uh, what they did. I think people want some sort of limits on spending in government, they're just not sure how. Because, again, they have normal lives. I mean, they're working at their regular jobs. They have families. They've got other things to worry about than the details of how to uh, rein in some of the money that they feel are is influencing different candidates, influencing different issues. And maybe they're frustrated with some of the re results they're seeing at the polls. I do want to delve into Clean Missouri a little bit, though I want Sean Sanker Nicholson to explain it for himself when he comes on the podcast. Yeah. But it was a big part of this story. 
You know, Clean Missouri has been actually positioned to voters as a campaign finance initiative. But even though I'm not a lawyer, I do know campaign finance regulations pretty well. And from reading it, I'm not getting a sense that it's going to stop people from donating lots of money to PACs who can spend money on independent expenditures like advertisements. I'm not sure it's going to be able to stop, say, a 501c4 from donating to a third-party group either. I know that it would require disclosure if that group donated to a legislative candidate, but I'm just I'm just wondering if it's really fair to describe Clean Missouri as a campaign finance initiative when it seems that the changes that are being made to it don't really deal with all the deficiencies of Amendment 2. Well, what Sean told me when I talked to him is that they had lawyers who were advising them on what they thought would have the best chance of passing legal muster. And so they decided to restrict the scope. I'm not defending it. I'm just explaining it. So they decided to restrict the scope of what would be covered by their proposal. And there have been assertions of lawsuits against that one or other efforts to curb in 501c4s in the state. So I think that they may have been mindful of that, too, because if— if, if Clean Missouri gets the signatures, they may not automatically get on the ballot because there'll probably be at least a lawsuit or two. The other responsible party to change here is not just Clean Missouri. It's the legislature. And uh, Representative Gina Mitten pointed out a couple of things that they, the legislature could do besides putting caps on local candidates. They could place more restrictive language against candidates coordinating with PACs because, as you mentioned in your piece— it is now legal for somebody to go to a PACS fundraiser. And by somebody, I mean a political candidate. Say, donate a million dollars to this PAC, have somebody donate a million dollars to that PAC, and then eventually have that PAC help that candidate, as long as there's no explicit direction to say, donate this money that's going to help my campaign. I, I heard what Sean said about the Rex Sinkfeld multi-packs things being the biggest loophole in Amendment 2. I think what I just described is a much more serious loophole that's probably happening right now in oh, Missouri politics. Oh, yeah. In fact, a, uh, I just talked earlier today with a political consultant, not going to say who, not going to say what party, but we were having a conversation about various issues. And I was asking this consultant who's been involved with various candidates if this consultant was going to be helping a certain candidate who was going to be on the ballot in 2018. And this consultant said, well, he was thinking about it, but he thought he also might end up working for one of the PACs, one of these outside PACs instead. And I bet you that there's a number of other consultants that are in the same boat. In fact, there's already one or two that I've written about before who are involved in certain PACs. Again, these are this is bipartisan. So I could I can envision where in the 2018, most of the major uh, political consultants in this state, and they wield a lot of power, folks, are going to be working for PACs, not the candidates, and they will be directing that PAC money to help the candidates that they want to help. Are we just doomed? <laughs> is, is campaign finance in Missouri just going to be a mess forever? Well, I think for the, in the short term, it's going to be a mess. But it was a mess before. It's just going to be a different kind of mess. Now we're going to talk with State Representative Clem Smith of Velda Village Hills. He's in his seventh year in the Missouri House. And I asked him whether he's still optimistic about policy change or whether he's grown more pessimistic over time. It depends on the day. Uh, I kind of hit a low spot of uh, being very pessimistic, kind of in the middle 
but like coming to the end. Uh, uh, personally, I'm in a great place policy-wise. I think we still have some challenges here in the state. Uh, uh, I think things are kind of out of place, and I really think that the reset button needs to be hit. Now, there's been a lot of controversy the last few days over the measure infamously known as SB 43, the anti-discrimination, I mean, the bill that makes it more difficult for people who believe they've been victimized for either gender, race, uh, age, whatever, uh, to file suit to prove their case. Now, I was there during the debate, and one of the interesting things to me was that there were actually a couple Republican lawyers in the Missouri House, and you were there too, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, Shamed Dogan was one of them, and they were raising questions about how it was worded, saying this is going to run into legal problems. Okay, passed, signed by the governor. Uh, now, or several months later, now we're hearing that HUD's like, yes, it is calling problems. The state's going to lose a little money over it. I mean, half a million, close to it. I'm just interested in your thoughts about that and what you think from from being there and, and being part of the group that did try to block it, just kind of your thoughts about what the impact's going to be going forward. I, th I think that's like a classic example of outside influences not being the people of the state influencing uh, policy in Missouri. Uh, when you've got members of your own party, uh, in that case the Republican Party, and of course uh, a majority of the Democrats are saying the same thing, this is problematic. There are going to be issues. Fast forward, HUD's like, hey, we're going to, uh, it's a half a mil you might, you know, lose out on. Um, this wasn't just smoke and no fire. There was real concern. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, the interest of, of big business and others trumped uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the, kind of the will of the people or, or, or what, what could have happened. Uh, you know, pe people saying, hey, here, here's a fire. These are problems. These could, ha these could happen. And it, it's it's kind of saddening for me, but that's kind of been the uh, – my experience the last few years of outside interest kind of dictating what the state's going to be, and they're going to ram it forward and uh, figure out uh, what it does later. Well, do you think there might be an effort during the next coming session, which will be your last, um, to either revamp it or revisit it uh, because of the fact that state's losing federal money over it? Yeah, there, there are some in the Democratic Party. I, it, matter of fact, before it came out, and it was kind of this talk of, uh, money might being uh, uh, money being lost. Saying, "Hey, uh, let's come up with some sort of legislative fix." I don't know if there's been a working group between uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans on this yet, but it it, it should. Why leave uh, something that could benefit you know the state, especially this budget money in these uh, trying times, on the table uh, over? Um, I guess what you feel is frivolous lawsuits. Do you think that there were outside influences that affected how the Democrats reacted as well? I noticed um, that the Missouri Association of Trial Attorneys was strongly against that, that the members are pretty sizable donors to Democratic candidates. I'm just curious if the Democrats would have been so aggressive against it, this this bill, if MATA wasn't involved somehow. I think so. Uh, I, I would have been. Uh, I don't necessarily say, hey, MATA, what do you think about it before I make a decision? Uh uh, I say, hey, people of the 85th, what do you think about it before I make this decision? Uh, and then you can kind of follow the money. Matter does contribute, but not on the levels of the chamber and some of these other big corporations that were uh, uh, pushing. But with that aside, I think there's still just in people's spirit like, hey, this isn't right. How can you 
have, uh, and I think I said it before, a, a bill that puts a menu of discrimination at a, uh, uh, a company's uh, front and saying, hey, we can let this person go. They came down with cancer. Uh, we're this size employee. Yeah, just pay them out this 50 grand and we don't have to worry about it. That obviously wasn't the only thing that ended up passing this year. One of the things that I think an issue that you've been paying attention for years was right to work, which is shorthand that proponents use to describe a policy that would ban employers and unions from requiring workers to pay dues as a condition of employment. The reason it's close to your heart in particular is you are a member of a labor union. Is that correct? Yes, the uh, uh, operating engineers union. I've been there about two years now, but I've been a, a union member for 21 years. In my working adult life, I've always been covered under a, uh, a union contract. Now, now, I don't think it was any surprise that that passed. I think that anybody who followed the the cost or Greitens race knew that if Greitens won, right to work was going to happen. Um, now that there's 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 a likely referendum that's going to be coming up next year, um, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this entire situation because we've had other people on the show, including people who are connected to organized labor. I've always asked the question whether labor did not take the Greitens threat seriously about whether they should have been more active at trying to prevent their members from voting for Republicans. Um, what's kind of your sense of the entire situation for labor? Because it doesn't it it seems like there's optimism because there's the referendum, but there also seems to be dread because there might be more restrictions coming next session. Right. And uh, we saw that, too, with uh, uh, project labor agreements, too, like the, the governor yeah. uh, or at the time when a uh, uh, Mr. Greitens was running. He he wasn't joking. He he said we're going to do this and and uh and they did it. Uh business community behind it too. Um uh and it was unfortunate cuz like I said I've been there 7 years fighting against it, fighting against it. And then you look and like, mm, I think this thing's going to happen and it goes through. Uh so could there have been more uh activity on uh on labor side? I say yes. Because you can't sit there and say, I've done all I could do, and, and that was it. I think there could have been more things, more uh, outreach done, more uh, personalizing the stories uh, to, to folks, uh, especially to their members. But obviously there were some other issues, uh, other people that, that the members of these labor organizations uh, saw were fit for the job. But now uh, now that it passed, they're 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 kind of thinking. Oh, I didn't know he was going to do this. He said it, yeah, but right. I, I, I didn't really think he was going to do it. No, he really uh, pushed it, and the, and the legislature really did it. And now, uh, the referendum now uh, backed by people, uh, labor. I think kind of speaks to to what happened. Now, as you as as you know, there's probably going to be a push early in the session to try to move. The referendum from being on the November ballot to the August ballot, only the General Assembly can move a referendum. And from what I understand, uh, the Senate leaders are already talking about this. So there may be a vote, you know, in the House. Well, there would have to be. Uh, Has there been much discussion of what can be done, if anything, to block that effort to move it? I mean, because in this case, the governor doesn't have a role. This is only in referendums. Just interested in your thoughts. Uh, I haven't been part of any of those discussions uh, with a larger group. A uh, couple people sitting there kind of kicking the idea around like, hey, what could happen strategy-wise, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z on that. But no uh, big discussion about that yet. But then, once again, that's – here you in Missouri, you think you've got like a right. Hey, we get signatures. We get a referendum. We're going to hopefully get it on this date. And then you get some fingers stuck in the recipe 
that starts to, you know, kind of maneuver things and, hey, let's push this date. Politics, once again, gets above kind of what the will of the people wanted to do. And that's that's pretty sad to me. What do you make of the argument from the opponents of the referendum that it, this is a do over, that the real election about right to work was the governor's race? And this is essentially sour grapes over the results. No, I, I don't agree with that at all, because um, there's a lot of things. Uh, if that's the case, we would never have any sort of, uh, you know, House joint resolution to put anything on a ballot. If you're just saying, hey, uh, because folks voted for this person who may be the governor, then whatever this person does is how it should be. That's more of a dictator than, you know, kind of everybody uh, putting in on it. But when you look at the amount of signatures that were gained uh, uh, on that referendum, uh, that tells you something else. Because I think it was kind of a... uh, I won't say a coward's way. I'm trying to think of a different way of putting it, but it should have been put on a ballot like it was years ago and let every individual citizen with the right to vote uh, have that opportunity to vote on it instead of the legislature doing it. Uh, that's to me, that's a, that's the soft way of doing it. And I don't think that's how, how policy should be made. It should. This issue should have been uh, in the you know, uh, you, you go in, you vote, you press what you want to press. And, and then the result we'll deal with at the end, but not, hey, we're sitting in a room, there's 163 of us, 34 senators over here, and we're going to decide to do this for the whole state. I, I mean, you know, they've done that on a number of issues, you know, including like concealed carry a few years mm-hmm. ago. Um, they did it all actually over the dog bill. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was one of the first things I think you voted on when, yeah. they, when they kind of took the teeth out of that bill that restricted dog breeding in the state. Yeah, again, again that was an initiative petition. But that was uh, to change the state law. It was not a constitutional amendment. I personally think that what happened with that, whatever side you're on on that issue, it resulted in almost every future initiative has been a proposed constitutional amendment to make it more difficult for the General Assembly to change it. And that leads to my next question. Let's say this referendum is successful and right to work does get repealed. What's to stop the legislature from coming back in 2019 and just passing another version of right to work that's arguably more restrictive than what they did beyond just, you know, the philosophical you're going against the people's will sort of thing? I'm talking from a practical perspective. No, that's a a good question. Um, um, And I don't know... I think it's possible for that to happen. And then you end up in this same scenario again where you've got people trying to get signatures in various congressional districts trying to get something uh, put as a question on the ballot. It it, it just gets to the point where uh, uh, it, it can become ridiculous sometimes and, and, and turn people away of like, ah, I don't know what these folks whoa, are doing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Missouri politics is ridiculous? That's <laughs> freaking ridiculous. Continue, Joe. Okay, but— there has been talk, but I've, I haven't seen anything, where, where there would be a, uh, a uh, companion effort to put a proposed constitutional amendment barring it right to work in the future on the 2018 ballot. Have you heard any talk about that? I mean, they have until Mar- uh, May to turn in the signatures if they're doing it. I've been hearing mixed messages on whether or not labor is even doing that because they want to focus on the referendum first. I, I'm just in your... I'm just interested in your position, what you're hearing. You, you get some good info about what you said is kind of where, where I'm at uh, with it, too. So uh, nothing formal uh, that I've been a part of or invited to, but uh, just discussions about, hey, how about, uh, you know, uh, adjusting this Constitution to uh, get this thing kind of locked in. But 
uh, when you're dealing with limited resources, uh, according to the uh, majority party, you know, there's tons and millions of dollars, union bosses with all this money. There's really not a whole lot of money to be, you know, having, uh, you know, in this war, having multiple battles going on. Sometimes it's it's quite well, difficult. Well, wait a, wait a second. There actually is, there are two other ballot initiatives that labor unions are donating money to right now. One is the minimum wage increase, and one is this clean Missouri initiative that does a multitude of things. Yeah. And I've, I've actually asked, I think, uh, one of your colleagues, Representative Doug Beck, even though those two other initiatives are getting a lot of money and probably enough money to do a real deal circulation petition drive. Do you think the fact that all the attention might be on right to work may make it more difficult for those other two initiatives to end up getting enough signatures? And I think it could be. And then within labor, you have, uh, it's not like one monolithic group. You've got different areas. You've got some folks in labor unions who are making eight bucks an hour. So you've got to hit different things. But I think if, hey, we take all resources, put it here, that could be problematic and you start losing support of other folks who are saying, hey, we're on this other end. We're not making 20 plus dollars an hour. What about us with minimum wage uh, and, and things of that sort? Now, one of the things that kind of want to shift just a little bit to, um, OK, you're part of the county that had been in a pretty much of an uproar about three years ago, uh, got a lot of national attention, uh, you know, as a result of the uh, Michael Brown shooting. A lot of protests, a lot of things going on. Uh, there was a big impact on the county executive's race. Um, at the time, you had Steve Stinger, who was challenging longtime incumbent Charlie Dooley. Uh, Stinger ended up winning. Then Stinger had a really tight contest with the Republican and the general. And one of the reasons it was tight was because uh, a sizable number of Democratic leaders in uh, your part of the county went with uh, re- re- Republican Rick Stream. Okay, now it's now we're heading into the fourth year. Stinger's going to be on the ballot again. We don't know who else. Um, but And there is a lot of unrest going on in the county council. Most of it isn't related to that, but some but, of it's— But there are ongoing protests over Jason right. Stockley in the city. In the city, which could feed into that. So mm-hmm. first, before I get my broader question is, do you see—I mean, what do you see— how do you see the relations between Stinger— and uh, legislators in the county, especially your part of the county right now, has there been any much dialogue over the past three and a half years? Just kind of your your thoughts about, you know, going and these and these are all Democrats. Right. Uh, and so I can only speak for me on that one. No, there hasn't been. Uh, there's been no reach out my way. And to be honestly, I haven't reached out that way um, because. I don't know why, you know, unfortunately, there's, there's been some unfortunate things happening in St. Louis County, especially with my councilwoman, uh, Hazel Irby. Well, in fact, I was going to ask you. Yeah, about there's that. there's uh, rumblings of, hey, the county exec and others may be putting in someone to you know run against her. I've heard John Gaskin. Yeah, I've heard that name floated, too. And I'm looking like, hey, you know, uh, now we're trying to get back to. And I don't like that personally. Uh, good woman. I think she does a great job. Uh her hands are tied a, a lot of the times uh, with the council, but uh, when you start trying to pick who's going to be in a certain area, I'm not. I'm not. I've never been a fan of that. You let the folks over there decide. You don't try to put your fingers in that mess. But uh, no, there. In other legislators, I know there hasn't been a real interaction with them uh, from my area with the uh, 
uh, uh, council, not like it was before. Okay, the Stockley decision has prompted uh, protests. This is a, the St. Louis police officer who was found not guilty by a judge in the shooting in 2011 of an African-American suspect that he was chasing after a car chase. Okay, so that said, that prompted a lot of protests. The protesters, in some ways, I think that's rather smart strategically, have not just centered their protests in the city of St. Louis. They've been going to various parts of the St. Louis area to because they're trying to make a broader point. Uh, now, so my question is, Democrats in Missouri who are um, having problems anyway, they will have to have, I mean, Claire McCaskill, the U.S. Senator, is going to be the top of the ballot. Nicole Galloway, the state auditor, is going to be at the top of the ballot. Those two, their incumbencies are going to hinge on, among other things, getting a strong turnout in the urban areas. Uh, a Democrat traditionally in, the, in Missouri, about a quarter of their vote could be African-Americans. And they, because African-Americans actually, if they vote strongly and show up, they can have a major impact. So my question is, if from your position with the state party, what do you see as the party unity right now? Do you think the Stockley protests might have an impact um, over turnout next year? Is it too soon to tell? Just kind of your take on all this. With that, um, I think with the party itself, I think the party is going in a in a better direction uh, than it was before. We've got a, a chair, uh, uh, Stephen Weber. He's been uh, all over the state engaging. He called me. It, the protesting was going on. He was in St. Louis, gave me a call. I mean, he's really trying to talk with every group, bring every group together. Uh, so that's been going kind of good on a on an overarching thing. Now, when you start getting down to you know what you were speaking to specifically, I think it's a bit early. But if if I had to take a, a you know a, a bet on it, I would say yeah, it would, unless there was some serious dialogue or some serious uh, not just statements but action behind it, uh, because these protests aren't just out of anywhere. It's not just for. Uh, no reason, like somebody, hey, we got nothing to do, let's go protest. No, there are people who have died, you know, and people who have gotten off, uh, and, and, and something has to be done. So a lot of the protesters feel like, hey, we're going to make this uncomfortable for you. We're not going to go away uh, uh, and, and even economically, uh, you know, impact this area. And I think they've been uh, moderately successful in, in doing that. So uh, seeing that, I would. It's only logical for me to think that hey, somehow this could impact uh, these races going forward, depending on where candidates fall on the spectrum of hey, uh, you've got a point and we should correct this, or how we're on the other end and you guys are just overreacting. Do you think McCaskill needs to do more as far as making her presence known, as far as her positions? I mean, I've interviewed her, but still about the protests or showing interest or concern about the issues that are being raised? Or is that something that, well, she's got a year. I mean, is that something that she can deal with next year and still be okay? I think you need to jump on it early. And this is just for me, not thinking of a bigger strategic way with, you know, the high-powered people getting paid to do all that thinking. For me, as a resident of St. Louis County, I think it's earlier is, is better. You don't want a scenario... Uh, that the last Democrat that was running for uh, governor uh, kind of ran into where uh, you're saying two different things in two different areas, being in rural Missouri saying, hey, voter ID is what we need. And then you come in the city and say, hey, people have the right to vote. 
and, and talking kind of that mixed message. You've got to be kind of solid. And I think no matter where you fall, people will respect it. By saying nothing, uh, uh, you're going to get a side eye. But saying something and people may not agree, you can still bri- build another bridge. But but state your position, and, you know, where you're at on it. I, I don't I don't think that the protest there's been this misconception that the protesters have no end game or they're, they're, they're not actually asking for something when in actuality they they are asking for pretty specific things. Many of them want the legislature to pass things that were presented in the Ferguson Commission report or they want the Board of Aldermen to increase the power of the Civilian Oversight Board. Now, obviously, you're not on the board of aldermen in the city because you're a county resident, but you are in the legislature. And I remember talking with you extensively after Ferguson about the post-Michael Brown push and how I think you were pretty disappointed by what ended up happening. There was not a lot of focus on changing law enforcement practices and tactics and a lot of focus on trying to prevent cities from getting fines and tickets, which you eventually voted against. So that was a long windup. But what's kind of your your thought going into 2018 that some of the things that were missed in 2015 won't be missed again? I think they'll be missed again. I think you'll have a kind of double down on uh, let's silence the revolt in legislation. You've had legislators come out already saying, hey, we're going to do something about um, uh, traffic. You know, you impede traffic. Now this may be a felony or enhanced uh, charges against uh, you know, law enforcement, you know, whether you know they're law enforcement or not, you step on the grass and it's trespassing and now, hey, we're going to increase uh, that. And and I think that's unfortunate because uh, they've kind of just been tone deaf to what, what, what a lot of folks in this area are saying. But I think, uh, and I know with me, there may need to be, especially in the city of St. Louis, a new uh, look at how you all are putting judges into place. Uh, you've got a lot of folks in a lot of counties that are electing their judges. You start looking at the racial makeup of, I guess, it's circuit court judges. I guess that's mm-hmm. who we're kind of dealing right. with the Stockley yeah. case. It it doesn't. Essentially, you've got a scenario now where you've got a Republican governor not from the city dictating who's going to be the kind of judge in your area. For for our listeners, I do want to step back and explain what the representative is talking about. St. Louis and St. Louis County are part of what's called the nonpartisan court plan and how judges are selected in those jurisdictions, as well as Jackson County, Springfield, and I believe Clay County as well, is that um, panels interview candidates. They put three nominees before the governor and the governor chooses who it is. Now, one of the things I noticed, especially when they were trying to choose a Supreme Court judge, as you mentioned and alluded to, is the racial makeup of some of these nominees, especially for the higher Mm. judges, almost always white and almost always men. For the cities, I think it's a little bit better, but I'm assuming that a lot of the nominees are white. Um, uh, Alderwoman Sharon Tyus has talked about taking St. Louis out of the nonpartisan court plan. I know Republicans don't like the nonpartisan court plan in general. Is that something that maybe you could get behind? That's something I'm, I'm, I'm looking at because what's happening now? You know, you've got uh, some judges, I guess, who made a decision with the Stockley case to put that in a certain judge's uh, courtroom. Then he made that decision. And folks are like, mad. well, you need to look at how this person came to be and how others are being selected at this point. Because I'm sure between... Then and now, there, there have been some that have been uh, uh, some judges that have been appointed, uh, and it was the governor's doing it. 
And, and if I'm not mistaken, I, if, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Mr. Governor. I, I thought you were for some sort of partisan electing of judges plan before. I, I think he kind of was, but I think that the, the, the criticism of that idea is there is a leeriness about having elections for judges because it gets politicized, which is kind of the nature of the... the well, the reason the nonpartisan but, court plan was set up about 70 years ago was because there was, frankly, rampant um, corruption... Not just in the city of St. Louis, but frankly, over in, in Jackson, Kansas City, yeah, Kansas City it, it's, area. It's them from the whole Pendergast situation. Yeah, P- Pendergast situation, mm. which, I mean, you know, there's good and bad. It produced Harry Truman, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you make of the, the counter arguments against the plan? Because I, I think the vast majority of the Democratic Party is supportive of the court plan. Mm-hmm. It could be because. Plaintiffs' attorneys like the like the nonpartisan court well, plan, or, or or if the governor is a Democrat, uh, I know Nixon really tried to you know tried to get more diversity on the bench, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm just, in, in the urban areas. But I'm curious about that. But but kind of going forward, I don't see it. I kind of see Missouri sort of regressing, and then you're going to have folks in an area who who uh, like the city of St. Louis and St. Louis County to a. a uh, I guess same thing where you've got a population of the city of St. Louis that's half black. Yeah. Half their judges aren't. Not saying, hey, it's got to be equal, but it's not even close. I think there may be a third or a fourth of the judges are. But but then once again, I myself would want to be able to kind of put my fingers on and kind of control who's going to be making decisions as opposed to uh, some of these folks who just be, you know, put into these slots, maybe political favors. Who knows? And uh, in, in them making a but, decision. But would you want to take the county out of the nonpartisan court plan too? You well, said they take... would have to. I mean, you, yeah. you either have it or you don't. I, I mean, mm-hmm. well, you you specifically talked about St. Louis City being out of it, but what about St. Louis County? Right, and I, and I kind of used St. Louis City just because of the demographic makeup. It's okay, fifty fifty. Whereas St. Louis County, I believe it's about twenty five percent. Yeah, it's about twenty. It's it's coming up to twenty five. Yeah, it, it, and so kind of a not as dramatic as. As you see the difference in uh, in St. Louis City, so uh, I, I see St. Charles does it. They elect their judges, they I believe. Do. Um, um, Supreme Court, you can put that on the table, but I think as far as you know, smaller focus, kind of county wide things, it's, it's something to look at. One more policy question before we get into your personal political future. One of the things that Senate President Pro Tem Ron Richard told me near the end of session was that he wanted. 2018 to be have a big focus on um, St. Louis's governance. He talked he's, uh, on on the table. He put merging the city and county, merging a bunch of municipalities, merging fire protection districts, privatizing the airport. Now, I I want to be clear here. I don't think Ron Richard said we are going to do all of these things, but he did say he wanted to make this a big discussion, which is probably why a bunch of cities in St. Louis County have passed resolutions opposing any effort to put a city-county merger on the statewide ballot. Um, I I guess I can personally take responsibility for those resolutions, (laughs) by the way. Uh, What do you make of this situation? Because I know from talking with a lot of African-American political leaders in St. Louis County that they are really leery of efforts to merge the city and the county because they fear it will lead to um, a lot of small cities being disincorporated and they feel that the African-American political voice will be diluted regardless of how the, the, the merger occurs. I, I'm curious, as somebody who represents a lot of those municipalities, what you think of this whole situation. I think if it 
uh, were to happen, it should be the people in that area only making that decision. If you told somebody in Pemiscott County, or let's use uh, uh, Greene County, that somebody in St. Louis was going to vote to make a decision on what they were going to do in Greene County, there'd be smoke in the city. But they have no problem doing it when it comes to, to, to St. Louis or Kansas City. You've got folks never been to the area trying to make decisions on, hey, what, what are you going to do down there? So that I don't agree with at all. But to your uh, other statement of uh, reduced um, representation of African-Americans in government, that is a possibility uh, that w- that would happen. Uh, some feel that there's uh, uh, money, uh, you know, things will you know, funny things will happen with the money. And, and I kind of get some of their concern. There could be a benefit to it. You know, um, as I stand now, I'm not for it. Or if it was to come up to a vote, it should be the people in the area, not someone who's never set foot on uh, Natural Bridge <laughs> Road to, to make that decision. You are terming out. I am. It's the end of the Clem Smith era in the Missouri House. I think that the rumor mill has been rampant about whether the Clem Smith era in the Senate will happen after 2019. It's it's the only thing I hear when I'm driving down the street or talking with people. Will Clem Smith <laughs> run to succeed uh, Maria Chappelle Nadal? Um, you know, I ask people on the show often, are you going to run for office X? And I don't get a, a straight answer. Will you give me a straight answer? Are you running for the state Senate next year? I'm, I'm going to go in the tradition of not myself, of every other person, and say all options are on the oh table. Oh, my gosh. With that. But I, I, will, I will say this. Uh, I personally, I'm in, a, I'm in a good space now. I'm in a good place. Uh, uh, we've had discussions before talking about the uh, uh, financial aspect of, uh, of being in office. Uh, I've been there seven years. Uh, uh, I've got a whole family uh, <laughs> that I try my best to take care of in the $34,000, $35,000 that the state pays. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for it, uh, and I love serving the people. But uh, at the end of the day, that doesn't pay for school. That doesn't pay for uh, health care. Uh, so I've had to kind of uh, balance both uh, with with a job. You know, I've got a – I call it my real job, too, uh, where I make uh, – a nice amount of money and I'm yeah. able to, you know, do the things that, that a, uh, a man is supposed to do for his family. And I've said this to you offline. Yeah. I think that's given you a, a, a different perspective on things. But yeah, And it has, but I will say this, whether I'm in that race or not for the 14th, uh, uh, we've got a person there who's kind of continued in the uh, uh, trend of people coming out of that area, outspoken, whether you like Senator Maria Chappelle Nadal or not, you know, if she locks in on something, she's going to fight for it and she's going, her knuckles are going to be bloody at the end of it. Anyone who is attempting to uh, replace or, or be that senator needs to have that same drive. You can't be sleep at the wheel and you can't just be happy to be there. You got to be a fighter and you've got to be passionate and for the people. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And you do not have a Twitter account that is public. That's why I have no scandals. pending charges or scandals <laughs> against me. I stay off. I, I think you are the Smart smartest man. person in Missouri politics for doing that. And on that note, have a wonderful day, everybody. So long. We were two from the start. The stars are. Why am I doing this? Sing my own crave, they were shallow, I would lie in it. Work down in the basement, 
In the dark, after we crashed your car Hoping fast that my arrow hits the mark So you know who